Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today, and you are the witnesses. Um, so the, I, the question just came up, looking at, at a card, under spiritual development, number four, earn the Pathfinder Evangelism Award. Okay, it's an award, so we know it's not going to be found in the honor book. Okay. So, what is it? How do you get it? Where do you find the requirements? I wasn't expecting the question, so I didn't come prepared. But here is here's Dave's gut reaction. I I would the first place I would go to look for the requirements is in the Michigan Pathfinder Handbook. Uh, at at Leader Shop every year they're handing out a new one, and there's probably a sim, similar in the Adventurers. My, here, here's my recollection. I believe it started out as something that was developed by Elder Fleming to utilize kids during evangelism meetings in a constructive way, uh, both from them and for other people. Uh, you need to show up a certain number of nights in full uniform, and there's a list of activities that you're going to be involved with. If, if the only thing you do is greet and hand out stuff, that's not enough. You have to do a variety of things. So if you've got a club, uh, you can uh, rotate people through these various things uh, during the course of a, of a series of meetings. Uh, that way, everybody gets exposure to uh, different things. Um, if your clubs are like some of mine, some of your kids can do a really good job at leading a song service. Uh, I think yesterday or the day before I mentioned Heidi in the last club I had in Minnesota. Heidi was a very enthusiastic kid and not the first choice for leading a song service. because, And Heidi knew it. Heidi couldn't carry a tune in a dump truck. She stayed on rhythm, but pitch was beyond her. Uh, so, but you, you probably hopefully know your kids well enough to know uh, that if, if you have somebody that doesn't have good pitch perception, not a good one for song service, but there's a whole bunch of other stuff that they can do. Now, again, I don't have the, the one, uh, the encounter card that you need for master guide, but I do have uh, two and four. Um, if you just want to have, grab them while I have them uh, for a, a future year for personal devotions. Uh, number two, the number one takes you through uh, Desire of Ages and Four Gospels. Uh, number two takes you through uh, Acts to Revelation and Acts of the Apostles and the Great Controversy. So you get through that in one year. And four will take you through the last half of the Old Testament and Prophets and Kings. So, welcome. So, like I say, if anybody is interested in these, you don't want this one, because I already marked it off. But, uh, but I have a couple more, and I've got some... Uh, a few number fours. So if, if anybody's interested, help yourself. But if you haven't done number one, do number one first. 
because that's what you need to become a master guide. Okay, so today we're going to be starting out with the creativity and resources number six. So are we ready? Are we ready to start? Okay, then it's time for me. I'll let you have a seat and um, then we'll have prayer. Our Father, we thank you so much for the lovely weather that we have and a chance to be here. Now we ask in a special way that your Holy Spirit can be here so people can hear what you need them to hear, not what the words that I use. We ask this in thy name. Amen. Interesting quote here from General George S. Patton. Never tell people how to do things. Tell them what to do, and they will surprise you with their ingenuity. How many of you have observed that with kids in your clubs? Yeah. Yeah. The Sunday afternoon they do it, or the Sunday morning relay race or something like that. They, I mean, you kind of lay it out, but some will be pretty uh, intuitive with some of that stuff. So it's, it's good to see their brain. Yeah. Some of them come up with some really neat ways. Others come up, come up with some very backward ways of doing things sometimes. You know, and so, then, okay, so maybe we'll need to do a little correction. I remember seeing one of my sons when he first uh, went to use a keyboard and he was going this way. Um, he doesn't do that anymore. Uh, he actually has a job in IT and I'd like to have him around a little more often sometimes. But um, Anyway, learning. We're going to talk a little bit about learning. This involves taking information from wherever you are and processing it internally so it can become a part of what we have to work with. And uh, in a broad sense, the goal of learning is to for everybody to own uh, a concept or a tool so we can use it however we need to to reach our goals. Research is showing that matching te teaching methods with a student's preferred learning style increases the chance for that goal to be achieved. Some, there can be a lot of different things that can get in the way of that, though, and some of them aren't always recognized at first. So we're gonna, the ways of learning are as different as the colors of the rainbow. People have different personalities, preferences, and tastes. And teachers and parents need to be aware of this and value the differences. Welcome. Through observation, parents and teachers can sometimes learn what kind of learners their children are, and, and once they know, they can develop activities or, that can make the most of it. Howard Gardner of Harvard has identified seven distinct intelligences, and, you know, there's a lot of research been done on it, and how many of you have observed that different people, some people are really good at something, and some people are not good at some stuff? And there are some kids that are really good at hands-on stuff, and comes time for work work kind of stuff, and they really, really flounder. Right. You get music going, and some kids just come to life, and others are... Just kind of space out, you know. We're going to look at some of the different ways of learning. They have our verbal learners. They 
get, some of them have a sensitivity to the meaning, sounds, and rhythms of words. They may enjoy storytelling, creative writing, love reading, poetry, not all of them poetry, but humor, find pleasure in working puzzles, solving riddles. Logical learners will enjoy number games, problem solving, pattern games, experimenting. They may have very strong reasoning skills and ask questions in a logical manner, and they like order and step-by-step -step directions. Visual learners, on the other hand, enjoy creating visual patterns, and they need visual stimulation. Sometimes they can be daydreamers. Some of them will have a talent for art. And some of the, sometimes some of these people, uh, the form of their notes is not in words. It, it, yeah. It, may be, it can be all sorts of stuff. A um, number of years ago, I was uh, asked, could I go down to this certain church and uh, do, a, some, do these? Uh, at that time, there were four Master Guide seminars to be four two-hour seminars. Could I go down there and do those? And um, I was a little surprised at the request because this was in, like, June. And... Um, at that time, we weren't doing uh, this kind of stuff here at camp meeting, but this came in uh, June. I thought, huh, that's kind of strange. Uh, but then it was explained to me, uh, Pastor Craig explained it, that there was one girl there. She needed two seminars, and that's all that she had left. She'd done everything else, and then she could be invested as a master guide. And she was going off to school, uh, off to college, and her parents really, 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 really wanted her to become a master guide. They had, they were both master guides, and they were afraid that if they didn't get it done, then it wasn't going to get done. So, um, so he said, we'll, we'll advertise it and uh, see how many people from other clubs come. And lo and behold, there were people coming from over 50 miles away to it. And we had a group about this size. And so we had a good time, and uh, uh, we started Friday night, and uh, then did the rest of them Sabbath afternoon, and um, some did one, one Sabbath morning during the Sabbath school time, and then the others Sabbath afternoon. And then, because we knew which two she needed, we did those first, and she was in invested as part of the church service. And uh, so when I was talking with her folks, I had this, I, I said, okay, now you two have to get work it out. You're both master guides, so you have to work out which one of you puts on the scarf and which one does the pin. So they got that worked out. And uh, uh, they, they were a little surprised that they got to do that. But how many of you were at the investiture Sunday? Okay, so you saw there, there was a reason for the order. They, they wanted Mandy to get invested so she could invest her son. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, it was my mass, it was my mom that put the scarf on me, you know. Um, all right. All right. So 
it, I found it really interesting when I showed up to do the first seminar, I, I saw a picture that she had drawn of me in seminars uh, she had taken from me at the workshop the previous summer. So what's that tell you about her? Okay. She was in the visual end of things. We also have musical learners. They may enjoy playing instruments, singing, drumming, uh, whatever. They like the sound of the human voice. Some of them really like, it, like environmental sounds, instrumental sounds. And they might find it easier if things are set to music or to a beat. I remember in the academy uh, hearing the uh, choir teacher um, talking about, uh, someone had asked, why do we always do the Messiah at Christmas time? Why? Every year, every year, why is it? And he said, one of the easiest ways for some people to remember scripture is to learn it to music. And the scripture is the basis of, of the, the words for all of that. There's been some slight adaptations, and I don't remember the name of the guy that did it, but he did that and gave it to Handel, and Handel cranked it out, and, you know, it's amazing. Um, so, now, I have had kids, uh, when they're, they're trying to learn a memory verse, I have gotten them, and we have formed a parade walking around a room reciting the verse. Okay? And sometimes it really helps some of them. And those that it doesn't help, at least they're getting a few wiggles taken out and, uh, you know, it breaks things up a little bit. Physical learners tend to be athletic and active. Uh, now, I should also point out that no one person, to my knowledge, is all in one of these categories. We're about blend of, of these different things. Uh, your physical learners are, they like, uh, some of them like to get involved in plays. Uh, they like to express themselves with body movements. Uh, and sometimes they can learn through physical movements and from touching and feeling. What's the name of the honor that came out? Um, on, and we had the gal over from from down under uh, at Team Snow Outing a couple, three years ago. There, um, yes, Bible Alive. And that is, that is a wonderful example of, of utilizing this. Um, for them, movement and gestures, physical, physical expression, that's just, that's just a part of life, you know. Um, and some of them may like to touch people when they're talking. So, so, so if in the course of conversation they, they happen to touch, you just don't get all excited. You know, it, it, it can happen. Um, extrovert learners tend to be very social. They can, uh, some of them are really good at reading the feelings and behaviors of others. They can be excellent leaders. They like to be part of a group. Often they like being in the front of the group. Uh, and then they, some of them are really good at helping peers and working cooperatively with others. Your introvert learners, well, they, they, they'd rather just kind 
kind of be off and, and work on it all by themselves. And um, they, they're more self-motivated. They'd like to do it by themselves. And uh, as one of my sons says, they will sometimes march to the beat of a different bagpiper. So how do we perceive information? You know, there's two basic ways uh, uh, that we people learn through information and through experience. And there's programs have, that have been developed that will focus on just one and just the other. But you know what? Pathfinders and adventurers tends to get both of them. And I think that's one of the strengths of their programs. We can also gain knowledge by being involved with people visiting places and participating in events and activities. Uh, and let's face it, learning is a never-ending process, hopefully. Hopefully. Uh, people are, we hope, are always searching for and sorting out information, experimenting and testing, making decisions about alternate choices and this kind of stuff. Why do people come to camp meeting? To learn. To network. Yeah. Yeah. Motivation. Uh, learning is more likely to occur when an individual is motivated. They need to, to want to learn. They feel expectant and curious, you know. Remember when I talked about that one director that was, wanted his kids to learn knots, and he says, oh, by the way, our next camp out in a few weeks, we're not taking any tents. We're going to take tarps and ropes, and you're going to do the knots. Guess what? That provided a source of motivation for them. So th this cartoon is a little bit dated. Miss Wormwood, I'm not going to learn this material unless you make it enthralling. I see. And what will you do if the rest of your life doesn't entertain you every minute? What? You think I'll live someplace that doesn't get cable? Today, we would put in Wi-Fi. But when you have, when you can see a use for it, uh, you're more inclined to learn it. So, and, and I remember uh, standing around my kitchen table uh, my, when my mom was the Pathfinder director and dad was teaching us knots. And I, I had seen pictures of people rappelling down cliffs, and I thought that was really cool, and I wished I could do that. And, and I learned that he, Dad pointed out that with the bowline, that if you tie that, it's a loop that will stay solid, and it's not going to come in and smunch you to death. And, and, and uh, he says, you mean like you'd use if you were going down a, a, a mountain or something? Yeah, I guess it could be used for that. So guess how I practiced learning the bowline? It was around me because I wanted to learn to do that. I haven't gone down a mountain yet, but, uh, but I've used the bowline in many other cases. Practice. Repeti repetition facilitates learning. Uh, good teachers realize the value of practice and revision. Purposeless repetition might be harmful and useless. We have a guy here that's seeing so many bales of hay that the clouds are starting to look like bales of hay. Yeah. Um, 
you remember, was it yesterday or the day before I was talking about when I first uh, taught my first club how to march and drill? We had to repeat, but we broke it up. We, having the, the several small sections, distributed repetition is the fancy term for it, I believe, uh, is much better than one big one. Um, so, past experiences contribute to our efficiency in learning, and they're the basis for present future responses to the information that we have it on hand, because the new stuff, we're going to integrate that in with what we have. If you don't have a basis, what are you going to do? If you already are really good at tying an overhand knot, well, guess what? A granny knot is two overhand knots piled on top of each other. And then if we, in the second one, if we just flip it around, what do you get? You get a square knot. And you look at some of the loops on that, well, that's, a that's sort of similar, but a little bit different. Uh, but it's, if you remember that, okay, if we're doing a sheet bend, uh, we're going to start this a little, but the rope does loop around the same, so similar. And um, so that's part of how we can learn new stuff. We want our experiences to be as enjoyable as possible so people can call on past experiences. Level of maturation. Learning happens when you're ready for it. Uh, I come from a family where guys are what are called late bloomers. And this isn't the underwear we're wearing. Okay, Some of us are, are a little slow to catch on to some things. Uh, I'm the guy, literally, literally, I took this class in college. I did get through it. 18 months later, I suddenly figured out what the class was about. Wow. I, I, and I, I, can, I remember right where it was, and suddenly I figured out, oh, that's what that class was about. Um, my, uh, my oldest son uh, was just having a terrible time learning how to read. And he was really struggling and really struggling and really struggling. And we noticed the more we worked with him, all of a sudden, he started stuttering. He had never stuttered. Never stuttered. And we were talking with somebody, I don't remember who it was, it's been too many decades, but uh, they said, back off, back off. And we did. Stuttering went away. And a few months later, we tried working on the reading again, and the stuttering came back, and we backed off. And uh, when he was, we were homeschooling, and when he was about fourth grade age, in about two weeks, he went from really not being able to read much at all to reading at a 10th grade level. Because readiness set in. And all of a sudden, the world was open to Nathan. 
And he, I mean, he could read it, and now he could read whatever he wanted and learn what he wanted, and he didn't have to get mom or dad to read it to him. And boy, was he happy, and he set up reading, and he read and read and read. And his younger brother, who is more of the physical learner, he didn't want to learn to read. He saw what happened to his brother. I mean, now he doesn't go outside. You don't. He doesn't have any fun anymore. He 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 want. He, so he Peter. He didn't want want to learn how to read because obviously, when you learn how to read, then you're stuck inside reading books. You can't go outside and run and play. Guess what? He, the first one did not have dyslexia. Second one does. My second and third sons do have some dyslexia, but Peter has learned how to read. And he's now in IT. Uh, still not a strong reader. Uh, he'd much rather do uh, recorded books. But, uh, you know, you need kids need to be mature enough to understand things. And kids may mature faster in one area than another. And another one's going to get it, pick this up quicker, and this one's going to come later. <coughs> Sort of like in our Christian growth. We're, we're not all at the same level everywhere, right? I remember one of my friends in academy was more mature than some of the staff members. But his clothes fit better than the one in that illustration. Learning is an active process because it's accomplished by the learner, not automatically by some sort of transmission from the teacher. Unfortunately, we, we can't just take this knowledge and, and, and just plug it into somebody and, and, and transfer it, you know. Um, there's times it, it seems like that would really, really be nice. And, and, and I'd do it to myself, you know. <laughs> but for a lot of us, telling is not necessarily teaching. Uh, activity is essential for learning. Um, and we need to provide experiences and exercises to stimulate the pupils. Here's an example of one sort of activity. What do you think might be happening here? Yeah, it looks like they're making kites. So what kind of things can you learn making a kite? Potentially, what what parts of science, such as long gravity? Well, how do you know? Okay. Now it looks like we might have a rib here and something over it to hold it in place. If that, and I'm not sure. But if that is how they're putting these together, among the things they're also going to learn is how do you apply a sticky thing? Okay? We don't, we all know how to do that because we've done it. But sometimes some of our kids have never done that. And are there some things that stuff doesn't stick to? And, you know? So. There's all sorts of stuff that you can learn. 
Uh, now these are cut to a shape. Uh, somebody had to use, I hope, they weren't just given a kit that was pre-cut on everything. I hope they got to cut out the stuff themselves. Okay, hopefully they got to do some measuring. Um, a lot of kids today don't learn stuff that I learned, you know, I don't even know when and where I learned some of the stuff that I learned. But at work, uh, there's a high school kid uh, that, came, that came in and did some, some stuff, some janitorial stuff. And, and one day there was a little extra time for him. And so he says, why don't you have him just put up a shelf over here? And, and, uh, and so, okay, you know, so, so the, the shelf was lurking about waiting for somebody to take time to put it up. So he's issued the shelf and he says, um, do you have a level I can use? Well, I actually had part of a uh, small tri-square with, with a little level, a little spirit level in it. So I hand that to him, you know, and he comes back and says, well, it's just, there's just this bubble, bubble in this tube. Oh, no. And suddenly Dave figured out, ah, no one has taught him, he may be a senior in high school, but no one has ever taught him how to read a spirit level. He may be accustomed to some sort of a digital apparatus, but as far as the kind that most people work with their hands building stuff use, he, he doesn't, he's not had that opportunity to learn. So, got a chance to help him learn. Sometimes learning is, we'll, we'll pick stuff up quicker when we have uh, different conditions and club members should be given opportunities to share their discoveries to reinforce the principle or idea being stubborn. Many studies were done long ago and they sh showed that kids who were in a multi-grade classroom would often outperform those that were in single grade classrooms. Part of that was because older kids end up helping younger kids learn stuff. And also, I know from personal experience, because my first three uh, grades, one, two, and three, which I did terrible at because I wasn't ready. I know it now, but didn't then. Uh, but I remember uh, uh, on Fridays, we worked on MV stuff dating myself. And so while I was working on my sunbeam, I heard some other people that were several grades ahead of me who were saying Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel. And guess what? That's where I started learning that. Um, so sometimes the instruction from the older kids will partly filter into the younger ones. Um, one of the methods uh, reinforce the principle or idea being studied. Let's talk about that for just a second. If uh, somebody learns how to do something and they then 
right away go teach it to somebody else, they will learn it a lot better. It's just the nature of the beast. Um, and, and as we're working, I don't know how many of you have, uh, how many of you taught some sort of a model building crafty thing in, in a Pathfinder course, okay? Have you ever noticed that there are some kids that just can whip them right together and others are just struggling and struggling? Have you ever had the ones uh, that can whip them together help the ones that are struggling? Sometimes that works out really good. Um, I will share one little bit of wisdom. I had somebody uh, come in to teach the model rocketry on her. I'd taught it a couple times, but but I had a staff member whose husband had a great interest in this, and I'm more than glad to step aside and involve somebody else. And he wanted to use epoxy to put the fins on. Now, epoxy is a wonderful adhesive for in, in many applications. However, when you've got young kids, some of whom are a little bit awkward, uh, you can get epoxy, even if it's a five-minute epoxy, plastered all over themselves and a lot of other stuff. And uh, it also doesn't set up real fast, even though it may be a, a five-minute epoxy. It, uh, the fins were falling off and stick them back on, and they fall off and stick them back on. And, and um, so something like a cyanoacrylate adhesive with an accelerator, you buy a super glue and they, you can get um, stuff to make it set up quickly. And that can go faster. But you need to be careful with this stuff. Talk about finding things out a little later, you know. <laughs> I have always suggested using super glue because it's the bigger stuff together. I finally realized that if you add it to get super glue on your fingers, go like this. And then you don't get they so won't get your fingers stuck together. Yeah. So what is the solvent for superglue, typically? Acetone. Acetone. How do you keep from getting your fingers stuck together? Go someplace, I don't care if it's Sam's Club, Harbor Freight, whatever, and buy boxes of rubber gloves. You're going to need more than one size. I like the big ones because of my hands. But you're going to need small ones. You especially want to get this out when they're painting. Okay? It makes cleanup easier. Guess how I know. <laughs> People need to be encouraged to find the principal or general idea in the provided information and then discover and discuss other ways of applying the same principle in future situations. Rather than relying on one or two specific teaching methods, uh, effective teachers will use a variety, uh, sometimes in the same class period. And there's a lot of stuff that can be done to make things more effective. Now, is there an aim to the lesson? Uh, for a lesson to be effective, both teacher and student should know what it is that we're trying to accomplish. And um, well, this can give a lot of direction toward the 
whole process. Uh, otherwise, sometimes people are just wondering, why are we doing this? What in the world? Um, but if you know what you're trying to accomplish, that can help you select what materials that you're going to use and um, what is it that we're wor working on. Do we need to have uh, tables on hand or not? Do we, are we, is this one of the ones where we need the aprons and the rubber gloves? Or, or is this one where we need to have the rubbers because our, our, feet are, our shoes might get muddy? You know, this kind of stuff, these decisions are, are going to be influenced by people's readiness in previous performances with similar learning experiences. We do want to uh, have things presented in a coherent, sequential fashion and illustrated and apply it in many ways. Long ago, far away, I ended up in a shop class in seventh grade. And I would love to meet Mr. Schneering today. He really, really, really was a great teacher. And I remember him showing us how if you're, if you're gonna if you're gonna do you need to mark your board where you're gonna cut it, you need to mark it here, and then he told us how to figure out when you run the saw, which side of the line do you want to be on? I'd never thought of that before, but he explained it to us. And, and there were so many things that he showed and demonstrated to us as he's introducing the topics one at a time that uh, 40 some years later when I had to install uh, a door hinge, I remembered him showing us when he introduced us to wood chisels, he showed us how to do this. And I remembered. Um, I don't even know how to spell his name. So <laughs> I assume he had a first name. I never heard it, but he was just always Mr. Schneering. And he was a really, really good teacher. And I was also privileged to have him for my behind the wheel on driver's ed. And again, he was very good at explaining things. Um, and there are some, there's always going to be some people who have that gift. He was, he was in the right job for him. Um, comprehension increases if material is organized so that all the relationships can easily be perceived and the connection between new and past experiences clearly indicated. A preliminary overview is helpful in this type of uh, learning experience. So going back to our model of rocketry, we can say, okay, we're going to be making these rockets, and you can go through basic anatomy, and so this, what's this part here? This is your body tube, and what are these called? Okay. And so we're gonna, and we're gonna have to cut these because it's not, we're not gonna be putting them out. We're get, we have to cut part of this off, and and then we're gonna glue it on. And you can just give them a rough overview before you get into all the ins and outs and and the uh, parts, you know, you know, the technicalities of it. Teachers also need to be aware of the influence, the effect of the quality of their voice. 
I will get into the slow monotonous. I remember in academy one time in Sabbath school, Forrest is Forrest was up front and he said, "We all need to get real excited about investment." And, and Forrest was not excited. Uh, I, I never saw Forrest excited about anything. Um, um, although I did hear that there was one occasion where he did move quickly. Um, he and uh, I was in band at the time, and the uh, um, we were between songs, and the director just happened to look out the band room window. Uh, toward the uh, ad building, and he's the front just fell off the ad building. Uh -huh. Well, come to find out, so I learned later from somebody it was a brick facade that fell off, and la I later I found heard that Forrest and Sandy were that she was from the boys' dorm, she was from the girls' dorm, he was from the boys' dorm. And they were at the appropriate part of the ad building. They're out front in the sidewalk, each in their own side. And when it started to come, when it started to peel off, they both ran. So someone that has seen Forrest run, but uh, he typically wasn't one to get real excited. Um, so to get people involved, you're going to need a number of resources. And there's all sorts of things that can be done to teach different things. Um, what kind of an atmosphere do we have? Um, well, is it, is it going to be friendly? Is it, you, you know. Um, let's look at some of the environmental stuff that can affect it. So do we have a lot of external sound? Um, we, we've got a little bit of distraction here, but it's not bad. Now, on the other hand, if we had people outside running jackhammers, that would be a big issue. Fortunately, we don't have lights that are humming. Right. That can be a real distraction. How much light you have can make a big difference, too. Do you need enough? Do we have enough to see it? Uh, or not. Uh, there are some things that are better learned outside where other things you, you want to have on the inside. So what principle of physics are we seeing demonstrated here? Refraction. Okay. Temperature. Room temperature can uh, influence people's ability to absorb and assimilate information. So I remember my, what was it, junior high, early high school, uh, social studies teacher, who's also the PE teacher, PE teacher, told us that in England they keep the classrooms at 58 degrees to keep people alert so they learn better. I didn't believe him then and I don't now. Uh, 58 is, if you're active, 
If you're physically, I mean really active, you can do a P, you can do PE in 58 degrees, but you but you're going to keep moving. Uh, physical work, you know, you can you can be roofing a house in 58 degrees, you know, but uh, for learning uh, in a classroom, I don't I don't see it. Um, and we also know if it's too hot, that's not going that doesn't work either. I had to play at a classmate's wedding um, decades ago, and um, so we're uh, changing. Uh, the guys are all in in this one room in the basement, uh, changing into whatever into our tuxes for it. And um, the pastor said to us, "Now, and, and this was an August wedding. There was no air conditioning in the church." And the pastor said, no, if the heat starts to get to you, don't be afraid to sit down. I, he said, I was once in a small, at a wedding in a small church on a hot day. The bride fainted three times. The groom fainted twice. The pastor fainted once. To finish the service, they got in chairs and they literally finished it sitting down with their heads between their knees so they didn't pass out. Wow. Okay? Now, this is a... Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to do a little time out and, and this is an aside, but I sort of touched on it. When I was in fifth grade, I'm in public school at this point in my educational career, and there came this day when everybody's getting inoculated for whatever it was. I don't remember, but, but uh, we had to all get lined up alphabetically by last names, and we go down the hall and go into the nurse's room, and we all take our turns, and they've got our vaccination records, so we all get thus and such, you know. And Christensen here, okay? So right ahead of me was Katie, and uh, I had heard uh, rumors that she had passed out some previous year when after getting a shot, but I wasn't in school with her. We, I didn't know her real well. But so we line up and we go down, and uh, uh, I wasn't paying any attention to her. Don't even remember. I guess her first name was Debbie. But anyway, she... Uh, she got her shot, and then I got my shot, and we're making, we make our way back to our room. Now, well, I, we're, we're C's, but there were also A's and B's in the room that, that had preceded us because of the alphabetical order. So, I'm walking in, and all of a sudden, Mrs. Hartwig runs to grab Katie, and she's falling off her chair because she fainted. Now, Mrs. Hartwig did the most wonderful thing because she told the rest of us not to get worried. Whenever somebody faints, it's usually because they didn't have enough blood in their head, and so without enough oxygen up there, you pass out, and what you need to do is just get their head between their knees. And they'll usually come around and um, 
and uh, lo and behold, uh, Debbie's, you know, and she's demonstrating this as she's doing it. And, and Debbie came to and uh, ended up going off to the other part of the nurse's office to lay down on the bed for a little bit. But she, she mentioned to us that she had noticed that when she came in that day, she was rather pale. And so she was watching her especially. That was a teachable moment. And, uh, you know, I haven't seen lots of people pass out, but, I, but I've seen it, and it's nice to know what to do. It's happened to me. And I, I felt it coming, and I knew where, where to... I knew I needed to get my head down between my knees real quick. So, okay, that's temperature. Uh, now we're going to talk about seating arrangements. So there's lots of different ways, and I I did not set this up. Okay, this this room got set up by other people. Um, this works well for some things. I hate doing a Sabbath school class like this. Because how do you get good discussion? It's easier in a circle. Um, and uh, in our church, and I assume some of the others, we you may have done some evangelism where you may have a presentation then you end up around smaller tables where you can actually discuss things in small groups. The, I, I really like that. Um, I have to admit, when I walked in Lily, and there was my chair from yesterday was missing. The whole row was missing. I thought, oh no, he's playing some kind of trick on us. He's testing us to see how we're changing our seats around. I didn't, I'll be, I honestly did not do anything with the chairs. Uh, I've heard of people who do like to like to move them every time. Um, the last time I, I taught this, uh, these classes here, we were actually in the room where Emmanuel is, and I think it used to be the band room, because we've got the different levels. Uh, and it was interesting to see people were in the same spots every day. And, and that's fine. Um, but uh, you need to be careful uh, in some situations that you don't have tall people in the front and short people on the... I'm, I'm sorry, vertically challenged people. <laughs> There's a lot of teaching aids that can be used, uh, but the important thing is we need to get the right things. Um, we need to find creative ways to do things and because we want our students to learn uh, to love, we want them to enjoy what they're doing and find that learning can be fun. I was at an investiture the week after fair and the, uh, one of the girls, one of the TLTs was up talking about she, she she liked having, being at the investiture, but she hated it because this meant for her, this is her last year in Pathfinders. And she's had fun and she did not join to learn. 
but in the process of doing all kinds of stuff, she did learn a lot. And let's face it, most of the kids don't sign up to learn. But hopefully along the line, they, learn, they pick up and learn all kinds of stuff. And um, from time to time, I, I am amazed at and so grateful for the life experiences that I've had. I was visiting my mom, I guess it's about 15 years ago, when I was back here when this event happened. And um, it, it was Sunday, and uh, a, a gal from the church came, in, came out and um, because she wanted to talk to somebody who had done something in church that Sabbath, and had, she'd really enjoyed it. And um, she noticed there are bird feeders outside the window. And, oh, look at that one. That's Wow, that's really yellow. Is that a canary? No, that one's a goldfinch. And then she went on to talk about somebody that she had met, and they had a book on just birds. Wow, can you imagine? They had a book. only thing in it was just birds. And I thought to myself, self, you have been so blessed to grow up in the house you grew up, where a bird book was not an unusual item. <laughs> and to know that a canary is an inside bird, usually kept in a cage, and a goldfinch, you, you know. Right. Uh, at, at work, couple of weeks ago, uh, we have a guy that comes in periodically that builds some tools that we sell. And he says, so Dave, how you doing? He says, oh, I'm finer than frog hair. He says, do frogs have hair? I mean, like, do they have hair growing out of their ears like we do? Do frogs even have ears? He says, well, they don't have something like this, but they do have a tympanic <coughs> membrane on the side of their head that is so, Dave, how do you know this stuff? Guess. You want to make a guess? I have the amphibian honor. That was one of the first ones that I got at junior camp long ago. And uh, and uh, I'll admit, I, I, I've been fond of amphibians since I was a little kid. I'm, I guess part of somebody once asked me why I wanted to be in Pathfinders. And I says, well, there's still part of me that's a kid. And I still like playing with frogs and toads and, and this kind of stuff. So you get to do it with the kids, you can still be a kid again, you know? We can try several different approaches and try something new. Any questions on what we've been covering here? Okay. So, individual class requirements form, and you know, as we're looking in investiture achievement, it's formed part of a total package designed to encourage our pathfinders and adventurers to become their, what, what they can be. So we need to be looking at all the various things and figure out what are the most appropriate teaching aids. What kind of things do you think they might be learning here? Teamwork? Okay. 
What else? <laughs> uh huh. So they have a board, and they have two boards, and they, and they hold their feet on the board. They hold the board against their foot with their string. It is difficult to do. Yeah, yeah. And there are different ways of doing it. There are some who do it as a march and drill. And there are others that will do it this way. But, but they all need to be doing the same way. Uh, yes, communication is a part of it. Balance is another part of it. People are one of the most valuable resources any club has. And um, it's fun to get in for people that have specialized knowledge. The last club I had in Minnesota, we had um, a farmer uh, who had a fair amount of land. And, and I knew Perry knew trees well. And I asked him if he'd help with teaching the tree on or if he could go out and show us uh, what different trees look like. And, oh, he's more than glad. Oh, he was just thrilled to be able to do that. And so one Sunday, we spent about two and a half hours tramping around his farm, you know. And we got over to this one section, and he said, these here are red oaks. He says, I've been saving these. And I'm planning to use these for a trim when we build our new church. Oh, wow. And guess what? The next year, they went to the sawmill. And they did turn into trim for the new church. I think it's really cool when you've got somebody like that. Now, he is not a doctor, an engineer, uh, you know, a professional person. Yes, they are professional in their field. But what he did there is he helped people, he helped the kids see that this is a tree and this is what a red oak looks like. And he told them of one of the uses of the wood for it, that they would see. And a lot of kids don't get that particular connection. Uh huh. A few years ago, my, my daughter was not in this dorm, she was in the other one here, and um, she shared with me that she was amazed at what some of the other kids didn't know. Uh, something had to go in and out of, a, out of a dorm room, and there wasn't quite enough space. The doorway wasn't quite wide enough. And she said, well, you just take the door off the hinges. Huh? Yeah, you just take the door off the hinges. How you do... Huh? And so she had to f explain this. Um, something else that, that, that surprised her a little bit. Kids all knew what these were. Okay? And you just put stuff in here and put it in the dumpster and it disappears. Well, right? Yeah. We put it in the dumpster and it just disappears. 
well, guess what? Well, some of them knew there was a garbage packer that came and unloaded the dumpster, but they had no idea what happened after that. Sometimes kids end up learning a lot doing, doing some of these things, and they find something they want to never, ever do again. And sometimes they find that they, this is something they want to keep doing, and they want to keep doing, and that's good. Uh, there's all kinds of people that, that can come in and help out. Um, this talks about teachers should remember a cassette recording, video. Uh, sometimes, you, you know how to update the, those terms, right? Okay. So where are you going to do this? There's stuff all over. Uh, there's museums, art galleries. Kids love field trips, mostly, mostly. Uh, once in a while, no. Uh, there are some kids that just don't like big crowds, and they. But um, there's all sorts of stuff that we can find to work with. Uh, where are you using it? Uh, how many people are going to be involved? What are the what are the qualifications and experiences? Uh, you need some sort of a way to keep track of stuff. I have never found an office supply place that had this particular model, but uh, I, I remember hearing one area coordinator talk when she first started doing Pathfinder. Somebody said, buy the honor book. Then start a file, make a file for every honor. And whenever you see something that relates to that, you just drop it in there. Now, some of you might do it that way. Some of you might scan it, and it's going to be on a hard drive, and I hope you back it up. Right. So there's all sorts of filing systems. This is one type of filing system, an organization. Uh, I'm not endorsing this particular one. I'm just saying that this is one. Uh, yes. Um, uh, good, fair question, uh, and that's another story that I'll tell, but hold me to it, okay? I'll, I'll tell you about it, but we're about out of time, but there's something that we have to get through here. Um, I'm teaching in honor, high standards. Uh, I was reading in the Reader's Digest, and it's got to be 30 years ago. Uh, a girl is on an airplane flying, I don't know where, and there was a guy from one branch of the service sitting next to her, in his uniform, and she's looking at all of this stuff on his uniform, and she says, so how'd you get all that stuff on your uniform? He says, oh, the Army gave that to me. In brownies, we have to earn ours. <laughs> give them high, you know, give them a good standards, okay? Now, don't, we don't give our kids honors. They earn them. I wish I could take credit for this. I cannot. Ken Neal put this together a number of years ago as an example of one way to teach part of an honor. Okay? Practical application of physics to the experiment of Pinewood Derby cars. Forces will explore gravity, drag, so what's our source of gravity? Comes from the earth, you, you know, 
we're out of time, so I, I, we're going to go quick. There's a mathematical formula that expresses the force exerted on object in a free fall state. Okay, uh, so we've got a dropping ball as an example. You can imagine the ball dropping. You see it, blah blah. Okay, and here's how you you calculate its velocity. So we have these two different Pinewood Derby cars. The tracks are identical. Which car's center of gravity has the greatest distance available to drop? Is it red or blue? Are you sure? Is that your final answer? Think red has, a has further to drop? <coughs> it is blue. So here's our center of gravity. So this one has further to drop. Both cars are going to reach the, bo the bottom hill of the track at the same time. The track continues flat at the bottom for a distance of 12 feet. So what can, can you predict what will happen, everything else being equal? This one still has further to drop. The blue car still has some distance to fall. It'll continue to accelerate as both cars transition into the flat part of the track. And therefore will accelerate ahead of the red car. Even though they went the same speed down the inclined part of the track, the blue car has experienced more time to accelerate and stored more energy to expend. Okay, drag comes to us in different forms. Wheels, the track surface, air. Uh, you can deal with drag on the wheels. Uh, they tell how to do this. And you want to have things smooth. And if you sand off the corners of your hub here so you don't have as big a, a part rubbing, polish your axles so they're really nice and shiny. Uh, want everything smooth. Dragging the tracks. We want our wheels to go straight. And um, see this one is, doesn't have quite as much rubbing here. So that's, we have a little bit less friction there. Air resistance. Here's the things that you can do. Reduce frontal area, avoid flat and rear ends, have it so nice and smooth. Here's how you calculate it. You're talking about your calculations. Everybody's got the same thing. We can just reduce this in the design. So we've got our less aerodynamic one and our more aerodynamic one, okay? Greater drop, distance, more velocity, less friction, equals less dissipation of velocity. How many of you saw that coming? For the benefit of those of you listening on, on the recording, in the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25, the ones who had the extra oil were able to go the distance with their Lord. We need the extra oil of the Holy Spirit to carry us to the end. You cannot produce gravity, you can only use it. Use the Holy Spirit. God is willing to give it to those who ask. Get the advantage. That is a really cool thing to stick in. Uh, so, you know, they're working on the physics honor. And using Pinewood Derby cars, that's, that's a cool thing to put in there with it, too. And then to put in this spiritual application, that is wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Now, do you think Ken, th Ken thought that up all on his own? 
How do you think he got that idea? I think I know. It came as a result of knee nail. Okay? Let's bow our heads. Our Father, we thank you so much that you are someone who wants to help us. You want to give us all the oil that we can take and more. Help us that we can be willing to accept it and, and that we can be willing to help others get theirs. We ask this in thy name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.